0: We are working our way through the Gospel of John and if you've not been with us all, all along that's okay. We are starting a new chapter today, chapter 12. And um we chapter 11 is most famous for the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead and we'll see how that chapter connects directly with where what we'll see in chapter 12 today. Um we will take a break after t- chapter 12. We'll we'll be in John right up to the missions conference and and um, then we'll 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 pick up John in the in January of, of 2017. Well, it's on October uh, excuse me on September the 8th 1974. Some of you remember this event and you'll recognize it. Robert Craig Knievel, A.K.A. Evil Knievel, attempted to shoot himself 1600 feet across the Snake Canyon River uh, Snake River Canyon in a steam powered rocket. Um, the, the parachute ended up opening prematurely and it prevented him from making it all the way across. He ended up kind of falling, landing in the, in the bottom of that canyon and he was okay. But I, I say, I say that because if you were watching the news this last week, you, you may have seen that now 42 years later, there was another stuntman named Eddie Braun who successfully made that jump across that um, across that gap in honor of his boyhood idol, Evil Knievel. Um, The rocket was named Evil Evil Spirit, (laughs) play on words. It's not E-V-I-L, but it's Evil Spirit. And it was identical to Knievel's rocket. He launched it from a 10-story tower, reached 400 miles per hour before the parachute deployed and it came to the earth. And the whole trip lasted only about 20, 30 seconds. So it was very quick, but he had he had trouble finding sponsors to support this dream of his to to uh, i don 't know why but um, so he ended up spending this is what this is getting to the point he spent one and a half million dollars of his own money for that thirty second thrill ride one and a half million dollars now some might say spending that much money. On a stunt like that is extravagant. <laughs> extravagant. Uh, I've got to throw the definition of the word extravagant on the screen here, and this is just right off out of Webster's Dictionary here. Some of the way it's defined, it's, it's spending excessively or wastefully, lacking in moderation, balance, and restraint, unreasonably high in price or cost, lavish, decorative, or showy, or exceeding the limits of reason, it has the idea of just going overboard. It's just—it's too much. That's what we say when we, we what we mean when we say it's just, just extravagant. There are things in society that I think and you think probably are extravagant. We may have different lists, but I think a lot of them would line up. Million-dollar weddings to me seem extravagant, and you hear about them in the news and celebrity weddings. a night hotel rooms seem extravagant. I saw the new Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. is about to open, and something like for the presidential suite, like $14,000 a night or something. That's extravagant to me. Quarter of a million dollar cars seem extravagant to me. Now, so I have my version of my list of things that are extravagant. I'm sure there are things that I own and have purchased and have that, that maybe some of you would say it seems extravagant. And, and we, we all have our unspoken scale of extravagance. But when it, but when it comes to things that please us most, the words extravagant and excessive, they don't come to mind and they don't, they don't fall on our lips. The, the, others may use that word to describe our activity or what we've purchased or our belongings, but we don't apply that to ourselves. Why? Because our affection for that object or person or experience or whatever it is, it, it outweighs any cost. We, it doesn't seem extravagant to us. It, it, it's, it's all a matter of perspective. It's so how we're, how we're looking at this. Seeing it differently. If we see something as incredibly valuable to us, then we will throw off restraint and we'll throw off reason and moderation to have it. Well, in the passage we just read... We see Mary doing something that is extravagant, (laughs) extravagant. Judas and the other 11 disciples would certainly say that They, they see her actions as wasteful, unreasonable. It's just too much, it's over the top, it's excessive, Mary. But Mary... She sees things differently. Patrick was, uh, was mentioning this. He, she sees things differently. She sees someone of such incredible worth and value that she would have given more if she could to just lavish her affection and, and lavish her love and show her devotion to Him. It's not extravagant at all in her mind. This is just normal. What else would she do? And so, so this is, we see this picture of extravagance. And, and what I want us to see though is that the focus of this story, it's not, it's not Mary and what Mary does and what Mary gives up. That's not the focus. Our attention isn't to be drawn to the costliness of the perfume. The one in the spotlight in this story, just like every other story we've seen in the Gospel of John, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's the one we see. It's His worth. It's His value that we need to come away saying, it is, He's is so great. And He is so worth it. That's what we, that's what we want to see. It's not what we give up for Jesus. It's what we gain by having Jesus. And so the primary message of this story, of this message this morning, the primary point and what I want you to take away is not do what Mary did, but it's to see what Mary saw. And that's, the Spirit gets a win this morning if that's how we leave today. If we see what Mary saw in this story. Here's the, here's the main thought that, that, that we'll, we'll be looking at this morning as we try to put our arms around this, these 11 verses. It's this, is that seeing the excellent worth of Jesus should lead us to extravagant worship of Jesus. So if we're going to worship Christ as Mary worshipped, we're going to have to see Jesus as Mary saw Him. That's what I pray would happen today. Because Mary saw what others did not see. Others saw this routine occasion. She saw this rare opportunity. Others saw a human celebration. Mary saw this divine consecration. Others saw this unnecessary waste. Mary saw infinite worth. We need to see what Mary saw. We need to do that. So the, 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 what we're going to see, kind of the track we're running on this morning, is we're just going to get a portrait of this extravagant worshiper. So that, and, and what we'll see is, again, what, what makes this extravagant worship is, the, is, what, is is how the worshiper sees Christ and what they, the worth that they see in Him. So first thing that we'll say, first, first part of this portrait, is that extravagant worshippers run on the fuel of gratitude and love. That's what they burn. That's what, that's what fuels them. Verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So, probably about two weeks have passed since Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. and And you remember, after that, after that miracle, the religious leaders, the chief priests and the Pharisees, together with the Sadducees, they, they, had basically, they, they, they put out a warrant for Jesus' arrest. Next time we see him, we're going to arrest him, we're going to kill him. And so that's happened. So Jesus left town, he left Bethany, went into hiding, not because he was afraid of them, but because it wasn't his time yet. He knew he would die at their hands, but it wasn't... It wasn't the right time, and so he leaves. But now he's back in Bethany, right into the town in which he raised Lazarus. He's moving right back into danger, just in the shadow of Jerusalem, and he's there. Why? Because the time is near. It's close, and John gives us this very specific time marker, six days before the Passover. So it's Saturday, the Passover is six days away, Friday when Jesus will be crucified. This is the Passover, so this is the this is the eve of what we call Passion Week, and we'll be seeing that unfold uh, starting next week. So, verse two. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. So, give. So the 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 occasion is a meal, but it's not an ordinary meal. (laughs) It's not it's not that. This is a dinner. This text says, given for Jesus. It's given in honor of Him. It's a thank you feast for raising Lazarus from the dead. I don't remember, have anybody, have any of you been to a thank you feast for raising somebody from the dead? I am just thinking that might feel a little bit different than uh, um, our potluck dinners or something like that. And so, the family isn't just a little bit thankful. <laughs> they are ridiculously thankful. To, that, 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 oh, for Jesus. For four days, Mary and Martha believed that their brother was gone forever. You remember this in John 11. There was this delay. Jesus waited and he waited until Lazarus was in the grave for four days. The brother's gone. Life's changed. It was, they were so sad. But now... He's reclining at the table with Jesus. Just think about that. I mean, you can't help but smile just reading those words. He was he was rotting and de- decaying in a grave. And now he's sitting at the table, reclining at the table with Jesus. Exhibit A to the power and the glory of Jesus Christ. And so what's running through their mind? What, what is the mood in the house? It's just crazy to think about this. But But so verse 3, this is where we get. Therefore... Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped His feet with her hair. This is that extravagant act of devotion. But what I want you to see, first of all, in this first point is the therefore. If The therefore in verse 3 shows that Mary's actions stem from the whole purpose of the dinner. It's His gratitude, it's love for Jesus, it's thankfulness to Him. Everything that's good is because of Christ. That's what fuels extravagant worship. We learn from in chapter 11 about the the love that Jesus shared with this family. Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Mary. He loved Martha. They all loved Him. That was recorded for us in very explicit detail in John 11. And so Mary, she sees something about Jesus. And this is what causes her to do this. She sees something about Christ. She sees him as the headwaters of every good thing in life. This is all thankfulness, all love. All the gratitude, all the love, it's directed to Jesus. And 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 brothers and sisters, if if we want to know something of this extravagance in our worship, and this, instead of being so calculated, but being more excessive in our praise of Christ and the devotion to Him, and I'm not talking about stuff that in the in the song services, That's, worship goes way beyond that. But if if we want that in our lives, then we're going to have to see what Mary saw, and if and, and if Mary had cause to give thanks, how much more do we? Mary was looking back on. Lazarus being raised from the dead. We get to look back on Christ dying for our sins, raising from the dead. We have far greater reason to give thanks to Him. We ought to be fueled in even greater ways for, to, to, out of love and gratitude for Jesus. So, we got to see what Mary saw. we got to see that every good gift comes from Christ. He is the source. That fuels us. Second, aspect of this portrait of extravagant worship. Extravagant worshippers spare no expense. They spare no expense. Mary therefore, verse 3 took a, again a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. I want to show a hands, how many of you ladies put on your nard before you came to church this morning? I have no idea what nard smells like, but it's Clearly, it's a very good, pleasant aroma. But nard, it's not a fragrance that we're familiar with. I don't think, even if there was a fragrance that came out in the United States, it would probably be called nard. Uh, that sounds too close to lard or something like that. It doesn't conjure up great images. But spike nard was this this plant that was found only in the Himalayas and so in this far northern parts of India and so it was very hard to get very expensive had to be imported at great cost into Israel so this is not this is not cheap perfume that Mary picked up on you know on her way to to see Jesus you know go by the truck stop and get the little fragrance machine or something like that this is not that this is expensive costly perfume strong pleasing aroma and this is a large supply of it but it, it was used for cosmetics it was used for preparing the dead for burial it was used for rituals anointing priests and kings so so this perfume of this kind of perfume at it, it, this kind of quantity was of incredible value it's one pound is what she brings this would have been a jar about the size of a can of coke basically and so Judas says later that it's worth 300 denarii. A denarii is a day's wage for it. It's kind of a common laborer. So 300 days labor. About 15 to $30,000 maybe, maybe we could kind of put in, in our terms. Now where did she get this from? We're not told. It would, it was not uncommon for, for, uh, uh something like this to be kind of basically passed down as a family heirloom. And so you would, This would be passed down, and maybe in her parents and her grandparents. And so, so here, maybe this is how she came to possess it. It may be, maybe, maybe uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. After Lazarus was raised, maybe they pulled all of their savings and went together and bought this for the purpose of anointing Jesus, as she did. Uh, we don't know. I mean, I, I, I wonder if, if I do wonder. It doesn't say. But if the whole family is kind of planning this moment, Mary is simply the one who. Kind of does the act. But if they are all involved in it. They certainly don't object. But either way. This is the point. Mary used it all on Jesus. She it was all, all on him. However you figure it. This is a very costly action. On Mary's part. And Judas and the other disciples. That is what they pick up on. We know from Mark and Matthew's account of this scene. That what Judas objects to. Basically the other disciples are just ups- as upset about. And what they see in this moment is waste. What a waste, Mary! All of that that three hundred days' labor just gone in a moment you could You could have sold this jar, you could have given. 90% of what you made from selling this jar of perfume to the poor and, and you still 10% would have been enough. That would have been so much to anoint Jesus with. The, the fragrance was so strong and it's so costly. Why, Mary? Why the waste? Look down in verse 8 and we'll get here in a moment, but I just want you to go ahead and look ahead. Look at Jesus' correction of them. He says, the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. He's not saying that they shouldn't help the poor, that we shouldn't help the poor. Jesus was on the front lines of ministry to the poorest of the poor in, in his day. And the church should it should be characterized by that ministry as well. That's not the point. This isn't about poverty. This is a statement about priorities. He's saying, you have God in flesh. You have you have this rare opportunity in front of you. In your presence, the eternal Word of God made flesh, the Son of God in human form. He's right in front of you. I won't be here much longer. The poor will always be among you. There will always be recurring opportunities to alleviate poverty. This is a unique moment. I'm not going to be here much longer. And this is, But this is what I want you to see. The true extravagance in this scene it's not, it's not Mary's contribution. It's not Mary's sacrifice. It's Jesus' supreme worth. We need to see what Mary saw. We need to see and say what we're going to sing in a little bit, that Jesus is better. He's better. Better than anything. Certainly better than riches. We, we tend to place an inordinate Value on money and possessions, don't we? I mean, I know I do. But this is the the solution to any misplaced values we have. It's not to, the focus doesn't need to be on making less of them. Oh well, I need to just think less about money and I need to think less about possessions. It's really not a big deal. It's not important. That's not it. The, The solution is to look to Christ and to see much greater value in Him than we've ever considered. We put our eyes to Him. And, and so that's the kind of heart change we need. The, the value we put on money and anything else in this world that we want to find pleasure in, it will begin to decrease as our, as our value that we put in Jesus just swells. So we want to see Him more clearly. We want to see what Mary saw. We want, to, we want to esteem Him rightly. Jesus is better. Is your devotion to Jesus though specifically applied to money? Is it reflected in your finances? If others, if others could see, if, if 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 God and He does, He sees how we spend our money. How, if He looks at our bank statements, credit card statements, He knows everything. Would 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 could you possibly conclude that that um, you must love Jesus a whole lot by seeing those things? If you want to know what a life looks like that values money more than Christ, then we see it in this passage, don't we? It's Judas. It's Judas. His heart is the very opposite of Mary's. John tells us that he, he didn't love the poor. That was, his, that was his reason. That was his justification for trying to stop Mary. But it's not. he didn't love the poor. He didn't love Christ. He loved himself. He loved money. Verse 6, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was the thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And that love of money led to death. There's a reason we call our daughters Mary and we don't call our sons Judas. The greatest, but this is it, the greatest problem for Judas it wasn't a money issue, it wasn't a stealing issue, it was, it was misjudged worth. He misjudged the worth of Christ. He didn't see what Mary saw. And this cost him his life. Baraka, listen. The love of money, the insatiable desire for things, for stuff, to be rich, it is deadly. It blinds us to the true worth of Christ. Preferring money over Christ is preferring death over life. And we all have this... This residue in our hearts, don't we? Matthew six twenty-four, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. But Mary, she served she served God only. In this moment she she sees Jesus as infinitely wonderful, infinitely worthy. And, and so she reaches for the most lavish thing she can find to express her devotion to Christ. And this is what it is. And she just pours it all out. Let it go. So that's the second. Extravagant worshippers, they, they spare no expense. Thirdly, extravagant worshippers thrive at Jesus' feet. They thrive at His feet. Verse 3. Mary anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. So this is the scene. I, I, so we see, we think Judas reclining at the table with Jesus. We, we see, um, we see a table and chairs like in our home or some, some large dining table and chairs and the guys sitting at there, around there talking. That's not quite the picture. This was a very low table and they wouldn't have chairs to sit at. Maybe sometimes they would have a small little stool. But generally they would, they would actually sit on the ground and kind of lay on one arm and, and eat and drink. It doesn't sound very comfortable, I know. I am, I am way past the days of enjoying a picnic on a blanket, uh, sitting on Indian style or sitting on the ground. I'm good for about 10 minutes and I'm done. Um, I like my chairs. But but this is the scene. So you lay with your head toward the table. Your feet are away from the table, the dirty, smelly feet. Keep that away from the food. Makes sense. And so this is, this is the scene. And so according to John, Mary... Mary kneels at Jesus' feet, comes from behind, comes to His feet. She takes all $25,000 or so worth of that ointment, wipes His feet with her hair. Just picture this. 300 days wages gone in a moment. We're told in parallel, she breaks the bottle. There's no, no drizzling it out. It's just phew, dump. This is crazy stuff. And and she uses her hair. This is, is, I know to us it may just kind of sound gross, but this is not okay socially in Jesus' day. The hair, that's a very intimate thing to do. To touch hair. This is not socially acceptable. Certainly not in public, not with someone who's not your spouse. She totally ignores social norms. She doesn't care about. And she doesn't totally disregards those in the room and what they might think of her. She uses her hair and wipes Jesus' dirty feet. Sitting at His feet, anointing His feet, is just a sign of submissiveness of, of Mary. She's saying, Jesus, You're greater. You're greater. I am, I am Your servant. But, but well, if we know anything about Mary... We know this about her. If any time you find Mary in the gospel accounts, where is she? She's at Jesus' feet. Every scene we saw, it, you see it in Luke chapter 10, verse 39. She's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him, learning from him as, she's te- as he's teaching. We saw it in John 11, where she's pouring out her sorrow to Jesus at his feet. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would live. But weeping at his feet. And here she's expressing her love and devotion, worship of Jesus at his feet. Extravagant worship of Jesus. It thrives at, at his feet. It's knowing him personally. Many, Mary knew better than anyone else in that room, including the other disciples, of the infinite worth of Jesus. This personal, intimate knowledge of Christ. Where did she get it from? From spending so much time there. And I don't want you to think that Mary is kind of mentally in neutral as she's sitting at Jesus' feet. Like she's just this emotional mess and she's just feeling and it's, it's that. She's, no, she is a thinking woman. This is intelligent worship. And Jesus lets us know this. In verse 7, this is, a, this is the most difficult verse in this passage to interpret. Verse 7, Jesus says, Leave her alone. So that she may keep it, this ointment for the day of my burial. Now, what is what is he saying? So she's already poured out the costly perfume. So she can't keep it until Jesus is dead and and he's buried. She can't, you know, recycle this and put it back in the bottle or something like that. Gather back up. It doesn't work like that. So that's that's not it. What this seems to show is that Jesus Jesus knew what Mary knew, and it's Mary seemed to understand that Jesus was going to die soon. Better than any of the other disciples. The other disciples, they didn't get it. They were in denial. Jesus told them many, many, many times that he would die. But they, 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 didn't, they didn't understand. They didn't see it. They didn't see it coming. Here she is, though. She has this awareness. And she's anointing Jesus in preparation for his death and burial. She had some sense that he would die, that he would be gone soon. And where did she, know, where did she get this from? How did she know this? she heard it from Christ she she spent so much time again sitting at his feet listening intently to him as Jesus taught the disciples and she listened and she took it in she heard she was aware she understood better than anybody else i, just, I think there's application to us is do you if you want to be this kind of if you want some measure of extravagance in your worship of Christ not for not, to, not a showy extravagance, but, but, a, but a, a type of life that, that is better in line with the, with the Lord that you worship. With His value and His worth. If you want that, you've got to regularly place yourself at the feet of Jesus. Listening to Him. Learning from Him. Submitting to Him. Seeing yourself as a submissive servant of Christ. Not, not seeing Him as one who is there to serve your agenda. Now listening to Him simply when he, only, when he is helping you get what you want anyway. That's not it. But we, 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 we humble ourselves before Him. We sit at His feet, listen to His Word, spending much time with Him in His Word and prayer. This is, this is what you'll find of those who worship with extravagance. They sit often at Christ's feet. Fourth, two more. Extravagant worshipers go further than good feelings and intentions. They go further than good feelings and intentions. Mary doesn't just kind of come up with this idea in her mind, think of some radical, extravagant display of love for Jesus, but then reason kicks in and, and she kind of talks herself out of doing it. And and no, she does it. She does it. It's planned and it's executed. Good intentions about Jesus are nice, but they're that's not worship, that's not devotion to him. And in the story, we actually see different kinds of action. And I want to draw your attention to three types with three different people, these siblings Mary, Martha, Lazarus. And so, and each has different results. But first, let's look at Mary. And what I would say, the application of this as we look at Mary is let the aroma of Jesus surround your life. Let the aroma of Jesus surround your life. First, into verse three. After she anoints Jesus' feet with this ointment. It says that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The house was filled with it. Many, And this is the thing. Many were there to see Lazarus. That's what the text goes on to say. This We'll read this in a moment. Many people were there. They wanted to see. They'd heard that he'd been raised. They want to see. They want to have dinner with him. They want to hear his stories. They want to touch him and feel him and see this guy. He's just a spectacle. They want to see Lazarus. But what Mary is doing is she's forcing all the attention onto Jesus. She's she's covering Jesus with this fragrant aroma, and she's just gathering everybody's all the senses on Christ. She's drawing attention to Him. You you couldn't find a place in that house where you could get away from the smell. You could be outside, and if you were near any window or any entrance or exit, you would smell the aroma of this perfume with that quantity. And, it, and again, it, it centered everything on Christ. It was all over Him. It was all on the ground around Him. And in her case, it covered her hair. She was infused with this aroma. Everywhere Mary went for days, that fragrance went with her. I, 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 this is just pastoral speculation here. But I wonder, we're six days from Passover. I wonder if six, seven, eight days, if Mary could still smell that aroma as Jesus died, was buried, was raised. But this, this is aroma. And the fragrance, it's not a reminder of Mary and her costly sacrifice. It's a it's it's a reminder of Jesus and his infinite worth. This is so Mary, she takes action. She's marking Jesus is infinitely valuable. Can people around you smell the fragrance and the aroma of Christ in your life? What does that smell like? I mean, we could say a lot of things as we look in the Scriptures, but just as a starting point, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, it's love and joy, and peace and patience, and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Does that characterize your life? That's the the aroma of Christ. That's the the worth of Christ resonating in a life. Does your home smell like that? Does does your marriage smell like that? Your attitude, your relationships, your words, does it give that aroma? Can Can others sense from the fragrance of your life that you spend a lot of time with Christ at His feet? Devotion to Him. Second way we see action is is through Martha. Martha. And the the exhortation that we'll see, I'm going to go and give it to you, is to to give yourself to complaint-free service to Christ. Give yourself to complaint-free service to Christ. Verse 2, we simply see of her, Martha was serving. Martha was serving. Now we know about another episode where Martha was serving, and she doesn't come off looking so well. It's, it's, it's the she's most well known for that busybody service in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. That's a different meal, different occasion, much earlier. And so she's, she's there. She's frustrated about having to do all the work. Mary's doing nothing to help prepare the meal and serve the meal. She's just sitting at Jesus' feet. And so she complains to Jesus about her sister. Now she's not helping. Well, in Luke, in that account, she's fixing dinner for four people, we're told. This is four people, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Jesus. And she was bothered by all of that work. Well here, she's fixing dinner for at least 17 people. Probably many more. And there's no hint that she's frustrated or sees this as any kind of hassle. There's no comment about her her seeing this as anything, anything wrong. It seems she learned her lesson. She's now serving out of this selfless devotion to Christ. She's She's serving in a in a right way. I just say if you love if you love Jesus, you will serve others uh, for his sake without complaining. Martha's serving as a way now to love, adore, worship Jesus. I think it's because she sees Jesus differently now. That's what changed the service. Same activity, same meal preparation. Things still have to get done. Food still has to be prepared and served. Dishes still have to be washed. But Martha's different now. She has a different perspective on it. And it's because of how she sees Christ and how she esteems His worth. Serving, Serving in the church, serving in your home, being hospitable, Serving your family, it will not seem burdensome if you see Christ rightly. So if it is burdensome, if you find yourself given off to, to complaint, or you find yourself just pulling back because it's just, it's just wearing you out, it's just, it's just a, it's an opportunity for a little self-examination. How are you seeing Christ rightly? I'm not saying you get run over and all of that, but just see Him rightly. Third, third way we see action is in Lazarus. And this is kind of uh, strange to call this action, because what do we find him doing? Reclining at a table. But we'll see. His life itself is, it says something. Lazarus, we see witness for Christ wherever you are. That's the exhortation. That's the encouragement. Witness for Christ wherever you are. There are no, there's not a single recorded word of Lazarus in the Gospels. I mean, he features so prominently here in John but he doesn't say anything in this in this text. We're we're simply told again he's sitting and reclining at the table with Jesus and other other people. But his his daily walk, just the fact that he's alive, <laughs> in 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 a very real and physical way, it's just it's just it's enough to convince people that Jesus is the Son of God. He is literally a living witness used by God to bring salvation to people. See verse nine. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only account of, on account of Him, on account of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom He had raised from the dead. Of course they did. Wouldn't you? So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Why Why kill Lazarus? Why? Why? Why is that so important? Well, again, He's just walking, living, breathing, talking, Life, uh, uh, witness of the life-giving power of Jesus Christ, and this is really why. Verse eleven: because on account of Him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. It's this thing: if 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 Christ has given you new life, and He has, if you've believed in Jesus Christ, maybe you're here and 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 you don't know this new life. This is what the the book of John. This is what the story of Scripture. The Uh, that we find throughout the Bible, but in particular in the Gospel of John, this is what he's trying to do. He wants us to see Jesus, and so he's telling us the story of Christ. Why? So that we'll believe in Him, that He's the Son of God, and that believing will have life in His name. That's the whole purpose of the book, in John chapter 20, verse 31. And so I just say, if if you don't know this life, if you don't know this eternal life, this abundant life that Christ came to give, it would only be because you have, y- have not yet put your trust in Christ. You haven't believed in Him and what He came to do. Jesus came to give His life, Scripture says, as a ransom, as a, as a payment for many. He died in our place, taking our sins that we deserve to be punished for, took that punishment for, for us on Himself, and died on the cross. And yet He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead on the third day. So that all who would trust in Him, who would, who would basically say, I'm, I no longer put any confidence in myself and what I can do to make myself right with God, not on my goodness, not on my morality, not on my church attendance, not anything that I do, it's only in what Christ and what He has done. If we will say that, if we'll trust in Him, then we can have life. Eternal life. And so for all who have believed in Jesus, all who have life, that our lives should be a a testimony to Jesus' life-giving power and grace. I mean, it would be great if we could all put our names in verse 11. On account of Justin, many were going away and believing in him. And so, so this is... Encouragement to us. Why? Because Lazarus has changed. He's, he sees Jesus like he's never seen him before. Fifth and finally, and we're done. Extravagant worshippers seek the approval of the one worshipped, not the ones watching. I don't know. I don't know how Mary or how Martha and Lazarus viewed Mary's actions. We're not told. I don't. They don't. There's no hint that they were hostile toward Mary. Or questioning her. Or criticizing her. We know what Judas thought in John's account. He didn't like it at all. He thought this was irresponsible of Mary. To waste all of this on Jesus. Verse 4. Again, we've alluded to this already. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples. He, the one who was about to betray him. Said, why? Why? Why was this not sold for 300 denarii given to the poor? Now, before we jump on Judas' case, Matthew tells us that the disciples were basically of the same mind as Judas. They weren't wanting to steal. They weren't, that's not the point. But they, they saw Mary's actions as irresponsible and excessive. Matthew 26, verse 8, says that after Mary did this, the disciples were indignant. Indignant. They were hot. When they saw this and they said, why this waste? Why this waste? So what did what does Mary do? What does this simple woman do? Does she cower under the shadow of these spiritual giants, the apostles of Jesus Christ? Does she apologize for being unreasonable and excessive, lacking moderation? No. She's not concerned what they think. Honestly, she only cares about Jesus and how He's honored. That's her only thought. I just—if you give yourself to Christ and devotion to Him and worshiping Him and service to Him and love to Him, you will be questioned and you will be criticized. And some of the loudest criticism will come from other people who know and love and believe in Jesus. People even in the church. An, just to, to illustrate this, what this might look like, John Patton was a Scottish missionary in the 19th century. And he, he made plans to move to uh, the South Sea Islands to work among the peoples there. And this was an indigenous people, and they were cannibals. So he just got married. Here he is taking his new wife to this island full of cannibals to tell them about Christ there were people in his church that objected and said this is not good, this is not wise and we probably would have been among those but there was this particular, one particular man in his church, an older man in his church that would say over and over to him he'd say you'll be eaten by cannibals, you'll be eaten by cannibals what a waste finally Patton grew just exasperated by this and his reply was this my dear sir you're getting up in years. I don't I don't endorse this kind of uh, explanation reply, but my dear sir, you're getting up in years and soon will be laid in the grave and be eaten by worms. <laughs> if I can but live and die honoring the Lord Jesus, it doesn't matter to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And on resurrection day, my body will arise as fair as yours. That's, that's just no... It's not, the, the attention isn't on the voices of man, it's on, it's on the worth of Christ. That's where our attention needs to be. Brothers and sisters, don't, don't let people tell you you need to moderate your love for Jesus. Let your affections be, be extravagant for Him. So does this portrait resemble your life? Is this, is this a picture of, of you? Again, the important thing is not Mary's form. I don't want us to. So I don't want you to run to Amazon and or uh, order some Nard or something like that. Unless I'll bring it in next week, it's probably like five bucks on Amazon or some knockoff from TBN or something. I don't know, but uh, you can probably find something. But don't or the equivalent. Don't go throw thirty thousand dollars on perfume this week. That's not the point. It's not the form. It's not externals. It's not appearances. It's not rituals. It's not. It's not posture. That's not. That's not it. The important thing is not what Mary did. The important thing is what Mary saw. And how that affected how she lived. Seeing the worth of Jesus is what fuels our worship of Jesus. That's what we need. I I want there to be extravagance. I want there to be an extravagance about my devotion to Christ. And I know that it's lacking. I I I know how calculated I tend to be. And I don't I this is not this is not again this is not a suspension of mental faculties and lacking of of common sense and wisdom. That's not my point. We're not pitting the mind against the this is not emotions. This is about full orbed mind, body, emotions, will, words, everything engaged in devotion to Christ. I don't want to be so calculated. I don't want to be so moderate it all the time. And I want that to grow not from trying to put on a form. I want that to grow because I see Christ more clearly. I see his worth as greater as it really is. I I close. Just I was just thinking about that bottle of spikenard, that bottle of ointment that she poured out Again, most think this was probably some kind of family heirloom. It may be, again, that they put their money together and bought this. But regardless, she could have passed this along to future generations as many other families did with a valuable like this. It could have been something that she handed down to her children and her children's children and on and on and on. And this would have been a great family heirloom. Instead, she gave and passed along something far greater than a bottle of perfume. We see this in Mark's parallel, Mark chapter 14, verse 9. His summary, this is Jesus' summary of this event and was what, just transpired. Jesus says, and truly, what she's saying, you listen to this, get this. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. You, you think you think that would be a better something better to pass along to our children and to our children's children than a bottle of perfume? A life marked by this devotion to Christ, a life that pointed to the supreme worth of Jesus—that's something worth passing on. What, what 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 do you what are you going to leave for those in your life? What do other people notice about your life? What what legacy will you leave to your children and your grandchildren? A boat. Some ugly china that was your grandparents that nobody ever eats on. Some some nest egg, big, large savings account. I mean, that's all fine. Nothing wrong with ugly china. <laughs> but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter in the end. It, but a life lived devotion to Jesus. A life lived that understands and sees the worth of Christ and and lives correspondingly, that leaves an indelible mark on people. Wouldn't it be great to be remembered most for your love and devotion to the Lord? Wouldn't it be great to, to be remembered for pointing to Jesus and His infinite worth? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that that would be not just the legacy of us as individuals here and in our families, but I pray that this church would be one that finds our deepest satisfaction and delight in Christ and Him alone. That we are constantly directing attention away from us and the way we do things and the way we, uh, we, what things that are, you know, important to us in terms of temporal things. But we're constantly directing gaze to Christ, His supremacy. Our Lord, help us, forgive us, Lord, when we've, we so often fail. We so often get distracted by other lesser things. We so often find ourselves consumed with thoughts of wanting more, more stuff, more, more entertainment, more experiences, and we 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 get distracted and we lose the priority of of directing all attention to Jesus. May we value Him more. May we be able to say, as we're about to sing. With, with true sincerity of heart, Jesus, you're better. You're better. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.